0: Ukrainians, they're real people, they have real jobs, they, they're not harmful. The problem with welcoming people from Syria or Somalia or Nigeria or in these different odd countries hey. is that they they could be terrorists <laughs> that was what a man said on twitter <laughs> the russia and ukraine war is not an african problem what are your thoughts mm. on that you know if it was if the roles were reversed like they,
1: we would not be welcomed or at least the journey would be much harder for us to bring the to be accepted into certain countries
0: Hello, Globies. Welcome to the World Health Investigation Podcast. My name is Jocelyn. I'm Edna. We are young global health professionals and your hosts for the World Health Investigation Podcast, also known as the WHI. We will be discussing all things global health, unpacking the most controversial health and social issues, as well as promoting new and global health development and equity. So, uh, Dina, what is the tea in global health today? Today, today, mm-hmm. I actually do have
1: some tea in the news. you have today. some tea? Do
0: you drink tea today? No. no,
1: no, no <laughs> you no, no, didn't no, no, drink no. tea? Because I was okay. waiting for this tea. you waiting for this tea? This, is tea? this is the real tea. is the real tea? Okay, let's go, let's go. Yeah, what, yeah.
0: what
1: you got? So... I actually wanted to focus on something a bit more positive mm-hmm. in the world right now. Yeah. So my peoples mm-hmm. from Zimbabwe. Oh. Shout out to Zimbabwe. Zim, zim. So Zimbabwe became the first African country to approve use of the injectable HIV prevention drug. Um, it's called Cabla, which is short for long acting injectable cabotegravir. Come come at us with the facts With the facts Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this happened um, I think around like mid-October Is when Mm -hmm. it was approved and then announced So for the people that don't know PrEP We use something called PrEP in HIV prevention And PrEP is short for Pre-exposure prophylaxis Mm -hmm. So that's basically about using Antiretroviral medication To prevent HIV infection And we use it in people who don't Have HIV so this is to help them prevent getting HIV.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and yeah, so for a long time there was a daily pill that you could take mm-hmm. as prep. Mm-hmm. But obviously that had challenges when you think about it. It's like sometimes people would forget to take their pill and it's like, I gotta take this pill every day. Yeah and I don't even have so HIV. It's, yeah. it's long. Uh, But now with this um, CAB LA, it's an injectable. So initially, the first time you get it, you get two injections Mm -hmm. in the first month. Mm -hmm. No, like You get two injections and they're one month apart. Mm -hmm. And then after that, every two months, you get the injection.
0: Okay, okay. So it's long-acting. It's long-acting. That's a brilliant new invention. Right? (laughs) It's a new... We need it. I think, yeah, I've, I've heard of people living with HIV that have complained about... How stressful it is to have to take the medication every day as an yeah. hour of the day. Yeah. Sometimes you forget yeah. or you just think you'll encourage them to, you know, be more timely and on track with your medication.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think for me what's really encouraging is I think if I look back, it was first approved by the FDA, the mm-hmm. Federal Drug Administration in America, in December last year. Mm-hmm. And now we're October twenty twenty two and we have the first African country actually approving calm, it, you know like historically hiv we remember how long it took to get hiv treatment
0: Treatments. to
1: countries low uh, to low and middle income countries so yeah. it's really i think encouraging to it's... see this and to actually see like an african country prioritizing like different you know methods of prevention for mm. people who who don't have hiv yet who don't have hiv yet? yeah that's
0: brilliant yeah lovely news shout out to zim shout out to zim <laughs> waiting for the rest mean, of you now she is zim now so we will not rest <laughs> she, <out>. zim now. <laughs> she is are you zim or are you sis i am both you're both why can't i be both mm. see edna yeah she was always conflicted 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 i'm never conflicted you <laughs> know who's conflicted though oh, who's conflicted people who are want ah She just, way, yeah. The way you try to make connections between conflicts, yes. conflicts yes. in oneself to yes. war is the end yeah. She somehow managed to link personal conflict to war. Yes. So- <laughs> How is there a connection? I am doing my
1: duty as a good co-host of this podcast to make all these transitions, transition and links, and links. Okay, Justly. Mm-hmm. I know mean, you were in the streets of the world. Oh,
0: oh we're just oh, walking oh, around the streets, thinking about what are the statistics? The statistics yeah. in the streets of the planet Earth. Yeah, the streets. Yes, of worldwide global health. Yes, justly. <laughs> Worldwide I know I'm literally health. stretching this joke. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> oh so while a full picture is yet to be established, the UNHCR, mm-hmm. which for those who don't know what is it stands for, do you know?
1: Yes, <laughs> I know this one. United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Oh.
0: Okay, okay, I actually put her on the yes. spot there and she, she, yes. she got it right. Yes, High Commissioner for Refugees. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they estimate that global force displacement has reached a hundred and three million as of mid-2022. Wow. 103 million. 103 million are currently being displaced across the globe. Yeah. Yeah, that's the fact. Damn. That's a lot of people. It's a That's lot, a of, lot people. of people. Sometimes we tend to think when you think of uh, of refugees and moving across the world, you may think it's a certain group of people, um, but it's actually 110 million. 110 million. Yeah, a lot. That leads me on to my next point about how many refugees come from which countries. So, more than seven in ten of all refugees under the UNHCR's mandate and other people in need of international protection come from five countries. Can you guess? Just
1: five? Um, off the top of my head, Syria.
0: Mm. I
1: just know back in 2015, uh, yeah. there were a lot of people coming from Syria. Yeah. Um, and then this year, I wonder if Ukraine is on the list
0: mm. because yeah. of the war this year. Yeah, actually, you are correct. Those two are on the list. Uh, we have the Syrian Arab Republic with about 6.8 million. Mm-hmm. Venezuela, Ukraine with 5.4 million, Afghanistan, and South Sudan. Ah, okay. So these are the top five countries mm-hmm. that uh, tend to uh, have the most refugees. I mean, in terms of this statistic, it's about 74%. You know what I
1: found interesting actually? I just thought of it now. It's like, it's actually like from different continents. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I'm not gonna lie, some people, they tend to think um. is just in the Middle East for some reason. Mm. And it's just people for a certain skin tone and they look a certain way, of a certain religion <sighs> that are coming in as immigrants. I think she wanted it. You wanted it. I wanted it went too, there. too. I had it. You need waste time. <laughs> I didn't waste time.
0: But <laughs> sorry, carry on. carry, carry on. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. So, what is, I found interesting is also that Turkey hosts the largest number of refugees with 3.7 mm. million people. Wow. And Colombia is second with more than 2.5 mm. million, including other people in need of international protection. Wow. Now, low- and middle-income countries host about 74% of the world's refugees.
1: 74%?
0: Yes. Are in low and middle income countries yes <laughs> I know this makes quite sound quite shocking yeah. because when you think of refugees, you may think, okay, the usual assumption and stereotype is that refugees are all trying to flee to Europe mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. the statistics are yeah. quite showing something different because at the moment it's actually low and middle income countries that are tend to be the most welcoming. To accept refugees, Mm -hmm. and um, the least developed countries provide asylum to twenty two percent in total, of this total. Wow, I mean, it actually surprised me
1: when I first heard that, but when I thought about it, I was like, it could, it' okay, it could make sense Mm. because when you think about it, not. You know, it's already hard to have to leave your home. No one wants to do that and it's a long journey. Mm. Especially if you don't know where where to go next. You're not gonna jump like, oh, let me go to a different continent. Mm. So I'm guessing many people, you know, they just tend to go to neighboring countries.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, it could be just as simple as that. They just find a country that's neighbouring and if they're understanding they're they are understanding. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. yeah so that's the statistic yeah well did you have something that you wanted to add in terms of personal examples and <laughs> stories because when you hear of these statistics it's like okay that sounds quite nice yeah but what does that mean on the more personal, personal level? level yes that's a great transition because <laughs> uh, i do have a
1: story our case study today i came across um this story and we'll link to it uh, because i'll just you know brief brief briefly go into it and summarize so i'm going to tell the story of someone called assad i came across the story and okay. we'll link back to it um so he is telling the story of his journey from somalia to europe
0: yeah
1: right mm-hmm. and so assad when he was telling the story he was 20 so i imagine he was like slightly younger when he um fled so he's totally is
0: actually is such a very young it's a
1: very young age mm-hmm. So what happened was, back when he was in Somalia, Assad was a motorcycle taxi like driver. Mm-hmm. And, and then one day, some men threatened him, and they forced, they forced him to take them on their motorcycle, on his motorcycle taxi. Mm-hmm. And then he started to realize that these people were terrorists. Uh, but he had no choice, and he had to give them all a ride. So while they were on the roads, they came to a police checkpoint, and he was scared. and He didn't want the police to see him with the terrorists... So, he stopped the motorcycle, he just ran. Once just ran, he said, I'm not dealing with this. Mm. Uh, I smart, I think. That's a smart approach? <laughs> yeah. So, the terrorists start shooting at him, uh, the police now start shooting back at the terrorists, and there's a whole exchange, but he sort of stays away from there. Um, but afterwards, anyway, the police arrested Assad, mm. uh, the motorcycle driver-taxi, taxi driver, rather. <laughs> and, um...
0: He driver them, of taxi.
1: Driver of taxi. <laughs> That's what I meant. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, and he told them what happened. He told yeah. them like, "Oh, this is the situation." That like, oh, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. However, what happened was now the terrorists had beef with Assad. They say, "How could you have just left us?"
0: Two? Why are they tried? Uh, so he said, "You could not. You have to stay loyal. You, you can't you be have a snitch. Stay, you gotta be loyal. You have to die with us. You have to die with us too." <laughs> Um,
1: and yeah, but actually, tragically, they, um, found his family, mm-hmm. and actually shot his mother. Oh, no. So, he clearly, he was in danger, his family was in danger, so that's what made him decide to leave Somalia. No, he had a whole interesting journey where he was going, like, from different parts of the world just to make his way eventually to
0: mm-hmm. France.
1: To France. To France. La France. La France. Now... While he was in France, there was just one night where he was in an asylum seeker center mm-hmm. and he fell out of his bunk bed uh, while he was sleeping and he fractured his spine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It says the pain was terrible. I couldn't sit down, so I had to stay standing up. But despite the accident, the police sent him to a police station um, mm. in France where he was locked up for 41 days. And in those 41 days, he only saw a doctor
0: once. Oh my dear. So he has a broken back. Oh, broken! He could have died. Yeah, in moment. he could have been paralyzed. But yeah. Oh
1: anyway, at some point, the police tell him that he was going to be deported. He was going to get sent back to his country. Um, he went to the airport. They actually took him to the airport. But then, when the pilot saw him and that he couldn't sit down and he was in a lot of pain, the pilot refused to take him on board. Mm-hmm. And so then he continues, we turned around and went back to the police station. The police officers left me at the front door and said, you're free. I was lost and in so much pain. I walked and walked, but I had nowhere to go. Aww. Yeah. So he was free, technically.
0: Yeah. With a broken back. With a broken nowhere
1: back. Nowhere to go. No papers. Yeah. I forgot to mention at one point he was um in Libya and some people stole his like belongings and his identity and all his mm. passports. and stuff. Yeah. So he's walking around and it seems he ended up like somewhere close to the border between France and Spain. Mm-hmm. So there's a family that came across him and they just saw that he was in pain and they could tell that he just needed help. But they realized that to get help for someone who's a migrant in France versus in Spain, it was going to be easier in Spain.
0: Mm-hmm. So they
1: crossed over the border to Spain to try and get him help. Mm-hmm. They called an ambulance. But as soon as the guy who found Assad mentioned that, oh, I think this person is a migrant, yeah. the ambulance refused to come. What the ambulance just refused to come?
0: What? Yeah. No.
1: Yeah. Then they were like, "Okay, let's go to the Red Cross. They have a migrant center that was nearby, but apparently no one was there. And in the end, um, they met someone who was willing to call the hospital again, and eventually the hospital showed up. Yeah.
0: <sighs> this sounds this this is very sad. This yeah. whole story hits home. Yes. Yeah. I can't imagine being in that position where you're literally facing a very very traumatic experience mm-hmm. and you're trying to access healthcare mm-hmm. and you cannot because of your immigration status. Okay, mm-hmm. so I think that leads us
1: to first looking into the perspective of, you know, refugees, people who are displaced as a result of war or conflict.
0: I mm-hmm. mean um,
1: just to make sure we're all on the same page, yeah, let's just, you know, differentiate a little bit between migrants and refugees. So typically, refugee, we're talking about people who typically have to leave their home country because of war, conflict, right. fear of persecution, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then migrants are typically people who leave their home country, typically by choice, yeah. so that they can seek better job opportunities, education, mm-hmm. that sort
0: of stuff. Okay, that's yeah. a very good distinction yeah. between the two. exactly. My question is, that, where does that leave the expats? expats yeah i think expats are under the broad category of migrants Mm -hmm. but how we think about expats it's like when you think of an immigrant what do you think of what do you think of an
1: expat i like i know it's wrong but i think of like a refugee i think of Mm. someone who's
0: fleeing from persecution like someone like me right now yeah like i'm not from the uk yeah but i moved to the uk you are a migrant i'm a migrant am i an immigrant a great question because I moved into the UK you, yeah you did move into the UK you are an immigrant I think that I'm okay. an immigrant so I think the the, the the definition sometimes is different when you have like someone coming from the US into uh, Tanzania mm. they're an expert, right they get called an expat an expat so I just think it's it's, it's just interesting to have these, these different definitions <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely something to be said and we were seeing it as well, I think, last year at some Mm -hmm. point when the U.S. was pulling out of Afghanistan and a lot of people were trying to move to the U.S. or U.K. or whatever it may be, but clearly there were certain, there are certain, I think,
0: migrants that are favoured versus other migrants Mm. or refugees. Yes. Yeah. Because there is, like, a negative connotation with the word immigrant yeah so when you hear of immigrant you think oh people trying to come to the country and invade the space yeah that they, they're not supposed to invade mm-hmm. yeah. yeah 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 yeah. anyways yeah
1: our perceptions of, of those words 100 so i think one thing that was interesting for me was to look at how different countries in europe have so far like reacted to immigrants or mm. refugees specifically yeah. when it came to health care yeah so some of you may have heard of the uk's hostile environment policies of course, of course. it's in the na- a hostile environment yes they said we don't want these refugees we don't want them and i thought it was mad like at first i thought it was just these policies and no one was like quiet about the fact that they really meant to like deter refugees but they were very outright mm-hmm. they were very outright um, in fact one of the, the the immigration minister Mark Harper at the time the bill was first proposed for this hostile environment measures he said the bill would stop migrants using public services to which they are not entitled reduce the pull factors which encourage people to come to the UK and make it easier to remove people who should not be here wow. that was like a public statement who should be here and who should not be here? That's a great question. That is a great question. So, just in general, this was just a series of laws in the UK that were introduced around 2014, mm-hmm. and they include measures to limit access to work, housing, healthcare, bank mm-hmm. accounts, mm-hmm. and even more. So, normally, it's it's a system of like citizen to citizen immigration checks. Yeah, it's just like you are just reporting each other. Okay. Um, and the majority of these proposals actually became law through the Immigration Act 2014, mm-hmm. and they've actually been like tightened since then as well. Right. Um, and so when it comes to healthcare under these hostile environment like measures, employers, landlords, NHS staff, mm-hmm. and other public servants have to check a person's immigration status before offering them a job housing, healthcare, or other support. Mm-hmm. So the government guidance actually uh, makes it a duty mm-hmm. for the NHS to charge patients not deemed to be ordinarily resident in the UK. Mm-hmm. This means that patients who have, you know, a precarious immigration status, they're just a little bit in the gray zone. Maybe they're, they've applied for asylum, but it's still in process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people in such situations, they are left with, like, really bills that can go up to, like, thousands of pounds, just for seeking health care. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, some sometimes we even have um,
0: cases where people are just denied care up front. Yes, that's, 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 I think that's a bit crazy. Yeah. To be denied care like that because of your immigration status. Mm-hmm. I think when you mentioned the whole um, issue around hostile policies towards Immigration and refugees in the UK.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It automatically made me think of the statistics back in 2015, oh. and and how um, some European countries were reacting towards Black refugees coming from Syria. Yeah, yes, I went there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the UN Refugee Agency estimates that 1.7 million Ukrainians mm-hmm. have fled in less than two weeks when the war had actually started around that time. Mm-hmm. And these numbers reflect the fact that, thankfully, the borders are open and therefore Ukrainians are able to flee. Mm-hmm. But then the question now is, why are we seeing such a stark contrast with European responses in 2015? Mm-hmm. Is it that now we've become much more welcoming towards the leaders in general? Mm-hmm. Is it that now the world is now more understanding that, okay, we need to accept more refugees? Mm-hmm. Why are these statistics a lot better in 2022? Because of like Acceptance of acceptance.
1: refugees. Oh, I really do wonder. <laughs> I really do wonder. Because people have been seeking asylum for many, many years. Yeah. People from different countries. And uh, for
0: the first time, we have people of uh,
1: certain skin tone. Yes. Um, That have been affected by mm -hmm. a conflict Mm -hmm. in a very serious way. That people, that they require refugee, refuge, rather. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that, I'm not going to lie, that's my personal point of view. I do think that race plays into it. Race, religion, proximity to, like, the cultures where I do think a lot of, like, European countries, Ukraine is part of Europe. They're able to, like, identify and empathize with Ukrainian people compared Mm -hmm. to people they perceive as being from further away, people from Syria, South Sudan. South Sudan. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that's I that's just be...
1: my opinion. Mm-hmm.
0: Which, no, that's that's very valid. I I even came across a tweet that, that was saying in response to this that um you know Ukrainians they're real people. They have real jobs. They they're not harmful. The problem with welcoming people from Syria or Somalia or Nigeria or in these different odd countries, no. it's that they they could be terrorists. <laughs> that was what a man said on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um well, what are your thoughts on that? And and <clears throat> I try, you know, war is bad. Mm-hmm. Everyone was experiencing war.
1: It's it's a horror it's a horrible situation and don't want anyone to go through it. And I will say I saw similar things, and they kind of they, they, they made me mad mm-hmm. um, because I was, it really highlighted to me the fact that even in the middle of crisis like racism can be like so pronounced like this in the middle of a war,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I obviously like you know what the Ukrainians were going through is terrible, mm-hmm. and we should definitely you know offer refuge and all these things. It's a good thing mm-hmm. that it was so easy for them to find uh, refuge.
0: Mm -hmm. However, um, I do think (sighs) I don't know what to call it except racism. I don't know. It's it's I want to call it racism. I mean, people may find this a bit controversial to accept. Yeah. But I I even came across some posts on social media around like some uh, students, international students in Ukraine at the time that Mm. were denied buses. Exactly. Like they were trying to transition, they had to walk for hours and. Some people, like Ukrainians, were able to access buses to transition into a new, a different country, a neighboring country. Mm-hmm. But with some of these international students, some of them were Nigerian, some were uh, Congolese. Like basically, like in West, Af- West, African, um, West African refugees, um, fleeing from Ukraine, um, yeah, they were denied. Transport, yeah, transportation. They we were denied
1: transportation. You had a lot of reports of them, like, uh, when they were accused to get into a train, they'd mm-hmm. be sent to the back of a line. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, yeah, it was a lot of uh, students as well, because a lot of students from, like, uh, Indi- India mm-hmm. and um, African and Caribbean countries.
0: Yes. And and I that think I, I think that I find it interesting because... The reaction that I've seen from people from the global so- south, that is, like Africans, like some Asians, some Latin Americans on social media, was that some people are like, okay, this is not my problem. Like, the Russia, which is a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit of a bold thing to say, right? Mm-hmm. Online, but I've seen people say the Russia and Ukraine war is not an african problem what are your mm. thoughts on that do you think that they shouldn't that they wouldn't if something was happening back home they would not welcome us like mm. that they wouldn't work on the people like that so should other nations become equally concerned for these people
1: yeah i mean i i can completely understand that perspective in terms of you know, if it was if the roles were reversed, like they, we would not be welcomed, or at least mm-hmm. the journey would be much harder for us. It wouldn't be as easy to be accepted into certain countries. Yeah. But if it's just back to the original question of like, should we care about what's going on in Ukraine? I would say a hundred percent. Um, mm-hmm. we've been talking about the cost of living crisis, and mm-hmm. we've been talking about how specifically the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine is exacerbating that situation because yeah. you know it's two countries that you know are involved in lot like supplies for gas, supplies for food grain mm-hmm. a lot of you know countries in africa right now they're going through a lot of, like food food security. security a lot of food insecurity problems mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. as a result of uh this, this this current war so should we care yes, yes. i think you should care i agree everyone in the world should care
0: i agree with you a war in one between two countries affects everyone so mm-hmm. if you think that it's not going to affect you because it's not your problem i mean mm-hmm. even if there has been some negative history um around like uh certain countries accepting other countries as refugees but as citizens of the globe as globies mm-hmm. as um uh people of the globe essentially we should be concerned about what's happening all over the globe not just for our people mm-hmm.
1: yeah 100 percent um i do think like people should take note i think mm-hmm. uh definitely and i was i was seeing people who were trying their best not to You know, detract from the conflict in uh between you know Russia and Ukraine right now. Mm -hmm. At the same time, while still highlighting other conflicts happening in the world, because I think you're right, the way people were reporting about Ukraine is Mm -hmm. so much more different from the way they report about like a war happening in a country in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. They make, like you were saying, they made it seem as if like wow. Ukrainians, our brothers and sisters. Mm. I saw one man, he was saying like, ah, oh, <sighs> these are people and they're suffering. They have blonde and blue eyes. I'm like, so "Oh, yeah. suddenly, because they have blonde and blue eyes, mm. like you can empathize, you can yeah. see their suffering. But mm-hmm. if it was like a brown face, if it was someone who is wearing, you know, like
0: a hijab, and you wouldn't be just... able to empathize. Suddenly no. it's not as tragic. It's not as tragic. No, no. that's true. That, and that's, that's why some People were a bit apathetic towards the the, the refugee current refugee situation in, in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's because of people saying things like that. So sometimes it deflects from the attention that it's supposed it it, it deserves. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think I think it's 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 a bit of a it's a bit of a, I don't know, it's a
1: bit of a controversial topic. <laughs> it's a controversial <laughs> topic. Um, but yeah, th- those are our thoughts. Um but yeah I I I was wondering as well in terms of like the the different countries and how they react to refugees um I'm always so curious about you know the health perspective and the health of people and how it actually goes down once they arrive in a in a country um and one thing that I thought was very interesting was uh if you remember back in 2015 thereabouts when you uh, Germany rather was welcoming a lot of refugees from syria they were very open in fact i remember the chancellor at the time Angela Merkel Mm -hmm. she changed a law in the eu that typically said that asylum seekers had to stay in the country where they first landed like they seek asylum where they first landed but then Mm -hmm. she sort of like you know went against that law and was like no you can come all the way to Germany Mm -hmm. and what i liked about what they did in Germany is they actually put in a lot of effort to try and like integrate syrian refugees into mm. their health care system mm. by actually looking at the fact that hey we have a lot of people uh who back home in syria were like qualified healthcare professionals like yeah. how why don't we just actually try to get them to you know uh help in our own healthcare system mm. what do you think about that? Is, that
0: is that controversial do you think that actually makes sense to, to do to have health what what do you mean, like, to... To
1: actually say, refugees who are qualified healthcare professionals, integrate them into your, own health care
0: system. I mean, why not? Yeah. Why right. not? Yeah. No, <laughs> to me, it doesn't sound bad, but to some people, I mean... Yeah. And then, that's the other thing that I was, that I thought
1: was crazy, because when mm. I was looking into, like, have other countries tried this before? And yes, other countries have. They actually tried to retrain, um... You know, refugees and like just get them qualified in the country where they are now. Mm-hmm. And the United Kingdom itself. Mm-hmm. After the Second World War, there you are know, many refugees from that war as well. They were recruited into the National Health Service. How? This NHS that you're trying to prevent refugees from accessing healthcare from NHS. It was also built on the backs of refugees.
0: How ironic. How interesting. Mm hmm just mm. some interesting facts there <laughs> no it's 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 quite interesting because um now it's now like we've seen like some refugees have try to access the nhs mm. and usually the response is you know you you pay up front yes you pay up front as good as the nhs it's is free for everyone else you pay up front i know for me, mm-hmm. um, I had to, when I moved to UK and I had to apply for visa initially mm-hmm. I had to pay an immigration health surcharge. surcharge yeah. Um, which was really expensive. Oh, oh, it was really expensive. Yeah. And now it's like to know that this was founded mm-hmm. based on, you know, the integration of refugees into a new healthcare system, I just I find it quite fascinating. I find it very interesting. Um, but I was also thinking,
1: do you think Countries should have an obligation to just accept refugees. Ah, Edna. It was coming, I mean, with heavy
0: questions. I mean,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's what we're here for. I mean, I don't know. There's not... I don't think there's a yes or no answer mm. to this question. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are some countries that have that have a much higher capacity to work on refugees than yes. others. There are some countries that are developed that know they can welcome refugees and there are some countries that cannot Mm -hmm. but we have to remember that refugees are people of the world you may think that it's coming from other people it's like oh it's them it's never going to happen to me until it does like what happened with ukraine for example is like people always assume that war is only happening in somewhere like syria or like in the middle east which is wrong we we've already like got to a point where we've normalized um we've normalized the Middle East for being a war center, like, a a place, a war, yeah, exactly, war-torn. And now, it's like, okay, we have new countries that are facing difficulties. Now, to answer your question about should all countries welcome refugees, I think all countries should really consider it. But it would be difficult to impose that policy on every single country because every country has a different demographic. Um, for example, somewhere like China or like Nigeria and that has a like very, very highly populated area, a very, very high population, it would be very difficult to for them to welcome refugees mm-hmm. because they're really, it's a very highly populous country. But in the place where, you know, they're, they're not as populated i think they should consider it and it should be something that is of everybody's concern mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: i i agree with you there um but then links back to to the statistic you said before where majority of our refugees at the moment uh are in low and middle income countries mm-hmm. that generally does has me wondering about like how realistic that is in order mm-hmm. to try and say high income countries can you do your best to you know welcome more refugees because you have the capacity versus the low and middle income countries where I guess I think because they're just close by yeah. it's just easier for mm-hmm. refugees to make their way there mm-hmm. um but I think it's 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 somewhere good to start in terms of like actually looking at different countries capacities mm-hmm. um yeah my other question so many questions today. Mm. Oh, ask, <laughs> Bring yeah, <them>. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I was just thinking again um, because of the, the 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 war between Russia and Ukraine. Mm. <laughs> I just had a, a situation in my mind about what would happen if, for example, there was a doctor Ukrainian and they come across a wounded
0: Russian soldier. Do they have to treat that soldier? <laughs> <laughs> and is trying to dig me into a hole. I know if I start speaking on this, I'll get cancelled. I'm just asking a question. (laughs) I'll get cancelled. Yeah. But it's a good question, though. It is a good question. I think that, obviously, on paper, Mm -hmm. it would be nice. Mm -hmm. It would... It must be nice. It would be nice to think, that okay, um, we... We want to promote peace, right? We want world peace. Mm -hmm. And everyone should access healthcare. Mm -hmm. And that's what we scream every day. Universal Mm -hmm. health coverage, Mm -hmm. nobody left behind. That's Mm -hmm. our bold statement that we fight for and vouch for. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to issues concerning conflict, Mm -hmm. conflict between two countries Mm -hmm. or more, there is a risk that cannot be ignored. Mm -hmm. The risk, what if it's a spy? Oh, the risk of of the, a threat to the country. If it, if you have an op- a person or a soldier from an opposing country, and they're coming to claim of trying to access healthcare, you can maybe refer them to. Uh, I don't know, uh, the Red Cross or refer them to somewhere that's a bit more neutral, mm. because they could come, imagine a soldier just comes in and, you know, he says, yeah, I have an injury on my leg, but he literally shot himself because he wants to be a spy. Mm. <laughs> I, I genuinely had not
1: thought of that. I, I just, in my head, I was like, yeah, surely doctors, if they see someone who needs care, they have to treat the person, right? Yeah. No, um, I think there's a point there in terms of if if I was trying to imagine myself as the doctor themselves, mm-hmm. um, I feel like such things would go through my head about ah if I'm <laughs> gonna bring this person back to the hospital, what will they do? Yeah once they're feeling better, like what's going to happen? Yeah, um I mean we have seen a lot of I remember seeing some videos around where Ukrainians would come. Uh, to, they'll like encounter Russian soldiers mm-hmm. who had like abandoned their tanks or something, mm-hmm. um, and they'd be looking for like food and whatever, and they'd actually provide food and all these things. Mm-hmm. However, in a healthcare setting, I think it's more complex. Yeah, because you're also I'm also thinking about like resources. Mm-hmm. A war already means that instead of treating, uh, you know, other conditions that normally we are treating that the population needs and meeting my population's regular health demands, Mm -hmm. now I'm treating war injuries and things related to war and, you know, Mm -hmm. we're just in crisis. Mm -hmm. So your resources in terms of, like, just doctors themselves are maybe focusing more on treating injuries Mm -hmm. rather than other conditions. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I'm already trying to, like, keep up with, like, this new population health demand. Now am I going to treat someone who is on the opposing side of this war and is contributing to the current
0: problem I am facing. Tricky. Oh, tricky. Tricky. Because think about it this way. When you think of, um, treatment, access to medicine, the whole essence of medicine is to put the patients first. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that doctor is going to have that patient's best interest or Mm. every doctor? Honestly, maybe one doctor would, right? If they're really kind, but out of fear, would they have that patient's best interest? Because at this point, it's no longer neutral. There's one side, the patient, which is it really a patient? <laughs> there's one side was a patient, supposedly. <laughs> this is allegedly. 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 allegedly, uh, allegedly a patient. Let's just say they are really a patient, not a spy. And then there's the other side was actually a doctor providing care. And now this doctor needs to have the patient's best interest at heart can we trust that this doctor as well will have this patient's best interest at heart? That's a great question. That is a really good. question. I don't question. think so. <laughs> Me yeah. personally, I'm always skeptical, but I doubt that if, especially knowing that what's currently happening in their country mm-hmm. and they're seeing their people die, mm-hmm. they're going to they're have some feeling of resentment towards the other side. Yeah. Let's be realistic. Yeah, no, to be real. Yeah. <laughs> So you're also be looking at that patient like, oh, that's bad. That's no, sorry maybe, for you. Sorry for, maybe not me. Like, I, me personally, I would be a bit, if I was a doctor in that case, right, yeah. I would be a bit scared. I'm not going to, I would be scared. Yeah. But I would want to help that person just yeah. because I feel like, okay, you you look like you're in pain. Yeah. That's just me, like, emotionally thinking I just want to. But policy-wise and just looking at it with like a risk assessment, I think it need, there needs to be like some form of referrals, world well, mm-hmm. somewhere else so where, like, okay, you know what, this is a more neutral place where you can access yeah, care, the
1: best quality care for you.
0: <laughs> for you. <laughs> that yeah. leads me on to my point yeah. about um, the danger that healthcare workers actually face when trying to act, trying to provide healthcare in conflict zones. Mm-hmm. For example, um, in December 2017, the WHO launched the surveillance system for attacks on healthcare. Which is called the SSA, which collects detailed primary data, mm-hmm. and from January to around um, May 2019, there were mm-hmm. about 344 attacks on healthcare, wow. which yeah, which were recorded, and leading to 53 deaths and 262 injuries of healthcare workers um, and patients. Oh, and
1: patients. Okay. Yes. Because I'm sorry, I'm guessing. This is, you know, 350 healthcare... 350 attacks on healthcare in terms of, like, healthcare professionals themselves, but also, like,
0: healthcare facilities. Yes, there are three hundred and forty-four attacks on healthcare. Yeah, for the board. Exactly. And then professionals, 53 deaths actually mm-hmm. due to that. So it could mm-hmm. be linked to uh, bombing, mm-hmm. it could be linked to any form of attack in general, oh, okay. what we call it, during that short span of time. Mm-hmm. Now... Amongst all the seven countries that have reported those attacks, most of them were actually from Ebola-affected areas in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and had which have recorded the highest number of of attacks. Now, I remember back in 2019 when I was hearing that um, MSF workers are being attacked. Mm -hmm. I think that's very scary, right? Because usually, um, to recruit some of these like ex- the most the most experienced doctors are usually required for these roles right so they're mm-hmm. having to leave their countries to go abroad to treat patients and now that poses a risk imposes a risk on their healthcare yeah. now which is like okay what's going on? Yes. <laughs> We're trying to help you. And now you're trying to hurt us. Yeah, so yeah, it, it yeah. comes to And I even came across a story around this like surgeon, a British surgeon mm-hmm. from the MSF. Mm-hmm. And he said that um, he, well, he worked extensively with the MSF mm-hmm. and still finds high security missions challenging. Okay. And after returning from a mission in Syria where he treated the wounded in an open and operating theater mm-hmm. set up in a cave, He said, I've worked in many difficult places with MSF, in war zones like Sri Lanka, Ivory Coast, and Somalia. But while in those countries it was dangerous on the ground, in Syria, the danger always comes from the air. So imagine trying to be a, you are a surgeon, you literally put, just close your your eyes, close your eyes, Picture yourself being a surgeon, even if you're not, you're in finance, whatever. Imagine you are a surgeon and you're trying to treat a patient and you just have boom. <laughs> you just have boom in the air. Are you going to, are you going to treat that patient? Yeah, bro. No, guys, it's serious. It's serious. So you were just talking about how traumatizing it is and how usually for you to be able to do that, you need to be, you really need to know your craft. You need to know your expertise really well. And they usually recruit the, literally the most experienced healthcare professionals. Yeah. And he said that it's much more oppressive. It's a much more oppressive type of danger having a helicopter hovering in the sky around you. Yeah because you you're just like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen.
1: <laughs> yeah. Ha, ah, guys, this is, this is, this is... No, that's horrible. And um, the other thing I always find interesting as well about, like, people who work in such, like, war-torn areas is... Mm-hmm. Um, the toll of their mental health. Mm. The toll of their mental health. Yeah, to th- to be like constantly in a state where you think you're in danger. Yeah, but also trying to focus yeah. on be with on like surgical precision. surgical precision. That is crazy. I I can't handle that level of stress. Not it's, I. It's, it's not
0: stressful. I. It yeah. is. It is really stressful. So I think that that. I mean, I respect I respect the MSF workers. I'm not gonna lie, I, I, I honestly us to you. Yeah. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, I, I same. We, we salute you. We salute you.
1: <laughs> yeah, and what you were saying actually reminded me of a documentary called For Sama. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it to everyone. F O R S A M mm-hmm. A. Um, it's essentially about um, this woman. She's filming the documentary from the perspective of like let her, she's sending, or like a video she's sending for her daughter called mm-hmm. Sama, mm-hmm. Uh, who was born, I think, you know, around the conflict when the uprising in Syria happened. Yeah. Um, and she basically, that family, what they had to do, because the husband, I think, worked in a hospital, mm-hmm. they ended up like camping within like the hospital. Wow. Um, and that's where they would be most of the times. And mm-hmm. she was pregnant, gave birth to the kid during the, the, the conflicts, during the peak of the conflict trying to raise this kid at the same time they're in this hospital every day they're seeing people who need treatment people who from like injuries people Mm. who are pregnant and still need regular care Mm. um you know it goes through like you know people they lost along the way like sometimes Mm -hmm. doctors like they go out and then they just Mm. they yeah it's it's i think a great one to just See the realities of what it is like yeah. um in a healthcare setting Something. during war, especially mm. that idea of like when there's air raids and there's bombings mm. all mm. over. Mm. Um, it's it's it really is a good one um mm. because we can say a lot of statistics and we know a hundred million is a big number, but sometimes when you see it happening to one person, person. And then you try to think like oh, how many people? How happening? many
0: people? Yeah. 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 Highly recommend. Yes. No. That's that's really. Let me tell you guys. Really sad. It is. That leads me on to my point. I want to stay positive here. Okay. What can we do better? What can be done better? What can be done? How can we end war, Edna? First of all, how do we... Because to me, when you ask me, what can we do better? I'm like, can we just stop fighting? <laughs> can we stop? Let's stop the war. Can we stop the war? Can I, we? I think...
1: I personally don't think it's possible to stop wars. Mm. Um Me... Personally, maybe a cynical view, but I think history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. Um, war has been a huge part of human history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think war is used as a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of strategy that the mm-hmm. politicians use these days. But sometimes when that strategy is not working, the diplomacy is not working. We, I don't mm-hmm. want to sign a treaty. I don't want to do negotiation, I want to just go to war. Yeah. I'm just gonna invade and do it by force. I mm-hmm. think we see that happening a lot in history, and it's like it's just.
0: It's part of our nature, almost. I'm sorry yeah. to say, like, this conflict, and this don't fighting. Fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that people actually want to end war? Do I think people, I think us as, like, regular citizens, yes, we want to
1: see an end to war. Mm-hmm. Our politicians, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I think some of them will say, some yes, of, them, yeah. of course, we want peace, we want prosperity, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But I do think there's some that think it will always be necessary. And so I don't think they genuinely want to end it. But mm-hmm. there's definitely a sense of like, we must always be prepared.
0: We must always be prepared. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what do you think? What, what do I think?
1: Yeah, do you think we can
0: end war? And do people want to end it? Do people want to end it? That's a that's a great question. See, I'm a I'm a samushi. I think it's it's possible to end war and put an end to a war if everyone really decides let's all come together and do this um whilst there has been um there have been efforts that have been made like we've seen it with you know the u n and you know all these different places <clears throat> uh, but i I do think that the the issue me personally that's my personal opinion that there are parties that do not want to end it. And I think when greed comes into play and um yeah, when greed comes into play and power, uh, power politics comes into play, it's very difficult to convince people to end a war, especially with politicians. And but then that goes back to the foundation of like who is the, who elects these politicians right who is always the, the people so it's like if we get people that are elected that are actually fighting for a collective effort then yes it's possible to do it but the question is are people willing to are people willing to i think it's a
1: big question that people try to think about yeah do how do we end what the un that's a... One of its big missions, mm-hmm. you know it's a it's it was set up right after a war because people just did not want war and no. they understand
0: that it's terrible, but yeah, we still have it at, and at um, least um no, go ahead on a on a positive on a more positive note, we've seen that the rallies well, were not going through a World War three <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, we had World War I, which was crazy, we had World War two. But imagine now the whole, I'm trying to be positive here in the sense that things have improved in a way, Like we're no longer facing um, uh, like, we had the run genocide, we had um, the Holocaust, we've had like so many very tragic experiences, mm-hmm. and we've said okay, this is not going to happen again. And I think there are measures that have been put in place to ensure that these things don't happen again. Mm-hmm. However, there are civil wars still going on. There are Still, countries are still fighting, so it's like, it's difficult to control. It's
1: very difficult. I think it's just really difficult to prevent conflict amongst human beings. Mm. It's like inevitable yeah. on us on the, for an, at a personal level, and definitely when you think about people, uh, countries. Um. Yeah, it's conflicts will occur. Yeah. Um. So I think maybe for 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 us the Globies... Mm-hmm. for us because we we can't control them. <laughs> we can't control them. But um, in general, I think it's much more useful for us to think about what we can do, at least to minimize the impacts of war on mm-hmm. the people that are mostly affected,
0: mm-hmm. um, rather than how do we solve war. <laughs> yes. That's a whole other thing. That's a whole topic. We'll spend all day talking about it. Yeah. No, I yeah. agree with you.
1: Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, for me, it could be as simple as, you know, there are obviously a lot of funds out there and a lot of relief aids mm-hmm. looking into those donating to the ones i i think sometimes it can be controversial because you can look at how much money is donated and given to some of these organizations and how much actually ends up helping people who are affected. Yeah. But honestly, I feel like you can make that judgment for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you can donate clothes. You mm-hmm. can help out at refugee centers. You can volunteer. You can run an art course for mm-hmm. children of mm-hmm. asylum seekers, mm-hmm. um, unaccompanied migrants. There's so many people I think that I need of just general human empathy and yeah. You know some of these just regular activities, so that's one way we can each at least help out
0: yeah no i i I rate that <laughs> I think that sometimes yes, I can be quite skeptical with um who I'm donating to mm-hmm. uh, so if you are someone that that you may find yourself being skeptical about donating or what if you want to do something physically, I prefer to do something physically, Same. so you can I don't know, but you have clothes. Clothes in your in your closet that you don't use anymore that you maybe that that you wear you haven't worn for at least six months. <coughs> mm. oh. Maybe <laughs> that, she that, that she in hole that you do. Now what? Mm. Know what? Mm. <laughs> Think about putting them in the bag and giving them. Give them to save save the children. Give it to um. the us mm. Give it to people. Salvation Army. Salvation. There we go. Salvation Army. There are these organizations where you can actually donate, or you could decide to maybe go more upfront. Even like within the country that you're in, just Mm -hmm. try to find people that you can go ahead and speak to, maybe spread awareness Mm -hmm. or even your expertise. Like if you're if you speak English, you could I don't know, um, help if you know a refugee, especially because now we're having this whole Ukraine um and Russia war and you have we're having refugees coming into into um the UK. So if you're someone that's living in the UK and you know you want to help out the refugee there there are courses I think that there are local authorities that offer um schemes yes. for the british people to help out uh, ukrainians in terms of like english and just like housing in general mm. yeah yeah 100 percent. and the other thing i think that um i thought
1: was great when i was reading about the um what are they called no <laughs> wow, i was just talking about them <laughs> the 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 measures oh my days why am i blanking the measures the measures. Mm-hmm. You remember the measures? Yes. Uh, sorry. The hostile environment measures. Mm-hmm. I got it. There you go. The hostile environment measures. Um is I saw there was a response, a huge response from doctors and healthcare workers from the NHS, you know, there was a whole docs not cops movement, mm-hmm. patients not passports. So I think it is also very important for people who are also healthcare workers, people who provide healthcare mm-hmm. to advocate for you know, the maximum number of people to get access and not mm-hmm. to have to be charged thousands and thousands of towns, mm-hmm. um when they are just in no position to pay that amount of money. It just, it just does, I'm sorry, it does not make sense to mm-hmm. ask refugees mm-hmm. someone seeking asylum to pay that amount of money. It's yeah. like, I've come here with mm-hmm. very little. How am I going to make that work? Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, if you can, uh, patients not passports, they have a whole website. If you want to get in and, you know, uh, advocate
0: through them, that's another avenue yes and another thing i can think of is spreading awareness mm-hmm. as we mentioned earlier that there has been a higher acceptance of refugees in the recent years mm-hmm. in comparison to 2015 and it's simply because there are places where currently where there is war and people feel to acknowledge it or either they feel to acknowledge it internationally or it's a matter of okay. We're used to hearing about ref- uh, war in this particular country. For example, I know with Cameroon, for example, there's the Anglophone crisis that has been going on mm-hmm. since 2016. But because it's quite a small country, um, it, it hasn't gotten as much international attention. It hasn't yeah. gotten as much, but there are there has been like a civil war between like the Francophones and the Anglophones, and People have died. People have lost their lives. I have friends that have like lost their lives due to that. People I've mm. heard of people that have lost their lives due to that, and simply because there's there's I've seen people spreading awareness, but literally at the moment it's only Cameroonians doing it. I've seen only mm. mostly Cameroonians doing it. So I think maybe like looking out for each other, like just because you know you may not be from that country, it's it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be concerned. Like we should all look out for each other yeah. and be concerned for each other. Yeah, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Agree, agree,
1: agree. And on that note, we'll wrap things up. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh heavy topic. Mm-hmm. But you know, we tried to touch on a lot of different things and uh, different perspectives. Yes. Uh we hope you enjoyed that discussion. If you did, you know, please leave a like, subscribe to our YouTube channel, subscribe on Spotify. I am Edna. And I'm Jocelyn.
0: We are Young global Health Professionals and your host for the World Health Investigation Delegation And please, 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 if you are in London, we are having a debate on the 9th of November, 2022. It's in a few weeks' time. Please register if you have not and you get your free tickets. It's going to be a heated room. We're tackling the most heavy healthcare topic. we are giving you a flavor of what this is about. We're going to touch on different if there's anything you want if you want to have a say please feel free to DM us in our socials mm-hmm. but get your tickets ASAP yes. because we're inviting guests from very very different backgrounds in different multi- in a multidisciplinary setting so please 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 get your tickets ASAP uh, yes <laughs> thank you and if you want to follow us if you want to see
1: all of what we're doing stay up to date with what we're doing Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, at mm-hmm. underscore, oh. at W-H-I underscore podcast. And you can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Just look up
0: World Health Investigation Podcast. You can follow us on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel. Subscribe. 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 Just press the button. Right now. You're already here. You're already You're here. You're already You're already here. Just, you might as well you press as well. subscribe. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much and have a lovely rest of the week.